All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga, all glories to Shiva Prabhupada, Nima Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prasthaya Bhutalai Shri Mati Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namane, Namaste Saraswati Deve, Gauravani Pacharani, Nirvasesis and Nirvati Paskachade Satarane, Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uta, Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavam Sacha, Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatham Bitam Tam Sajivam. Sadvaitam, Sadvadutam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna Chaitanya Deva, Shri Radha, Krishna, Padam, Sahagana, Lalita, Shri Vishakam, Pancha, Pancha Kalpati Vishak, Vipassana Vyavita, Patitanam, Pavanavya, Vaishnavyavya, Mahamam. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya September 14, 2020 in Hillsborough, North Carolina and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10 Chapter 20 which is the description of the rainy season in autumn, and it's text 18. The Nurviyati Mahendram Nirgunam Chagunin Yabat Yakte Gunya Vatikare Gunavam Purusha Yata Danahu, the bow, rainbow. The bow, rainbow. Viyati, within the sky. Maha Indram, of Lord Indra. Nirgunam, without qualities or without a bowstring. Cha, although. Gunani, within the sky, which has definite qualities like sound. Abat appeared Vyakte within the manifest material nature. Within the manifest material nature. Guna Vyatikare. Which consists of the interactions of material qualities. Which consists of the interactions of the material qualities. Agunavan. He who has no contact with material qualities. He who has no contact with Purusha, Purusha, the Supreme Personality, personality. Yata, just as. So what word is being repeated over and over again in the Sanskrit? Guna, yes. Translation. When the curved bow of Indra, the rainbow, appeared in the sky, which had the quality of thundering sound, it was unlike ordinary bows because it did not rest upon a string. Similarly, when the Supreme Lord appears in this world, which is the interaction of the material qualities, he is unlike ordinary persons because he remains free from all material qualities 
and independent of all material conditions. Purport BBT edition, Srila Prabhupada comments as follows. Sometimes, in addition to the roaring thunder of the clouds, there is an appearance of a rainbow, which stands as a bow without a string. Actually, a bow is in the curved position because it is tied at its two ends by the bowstring. But in the rainbow, there is no such string, and yet it rests in the sky so beautifully. Similarly, when the Supreme Personality of Godhead descends to this material world, he appears just like an ordinary human being, but he is not resting on any material condition. In the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that he appears by his internal potency, which is free from the bondage of the external potency. What is bondage for the ordinary creature is freedom for the Personality of Godhead. So, Prabhupada also has quite a different purport in light of the Bhagavata text 16. And uh, the translation, Srila Prabhupada, text 15, sorry, 15 in light of the Bhagavata, and the translation Srila Prabhupada gives there is, in the midst of the thunder in the cloudy sky, there appears a rainbow that has no string. Its appearance is compared to the appearance of the Supreme Personality of Godhead or his servants in the midst of the material atmosphere. And Prabhupada's commentary. The Sanskrit word guna means quality or mode as well as... What else does guna mean? A rope. As well as a string or rope. When a rainbow appears during the rainy season, it is appeared to be like a bow with no guna or string. Similarly, the appearance of the personality of Godhead or his transcendental servants has nothing to do with the qualitative modes of material nature. The phenomenal appearance of the transcendence is free from the qualities of material nature and thus it resembles a bow with no string. The transcendental Supreme Lord is eternally the form of transcendental existence, knowledge, and bliss. The material energy works under his good will, and therefore he is never affected by the modes of material nature. When he appears before us in the midst of material interactions, he remains always unaffected, like a stringless bow. By his inconceivable energy, the Supreme Lord can appear and disappear like a rainbow, which appears and disappears without being affected by the roaring thunder in the cloudy sky. The Lord is eternally the biggest of the big and the smallest of the small. The living beings who are his parts and parcels are the smallest of the small, and he is the biggest of the big as the absolute truth, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So sometimes this point is made that the Lord's appearance as the smallest of the small is us, through his Vibhinansa expansions. So this is what we all want. We all want freedom, yeah? Everybody wants freedom. Nobody wants to be in a cage. I, I, I posted a video the other day of this eagle that had been injured eagle that was rescued and nursed back to health. And then the keeper took the eagle in a cage up to the top of the mountain, opens up the cage, and the eagle comes out and, you know, kind of looks around, and then it figures out, oh, I'm free. You know, and it does its, its lift-off procedure with its wings and its feet, and it flies over the mountains. And it was actually very emotionally 
evocative, uh, this caged eagle that had become free. So we want this. Prabhupada says it's a need of the soul to see the free light in the spirit. Ridhanya Namaj, one of his favorite uh, sections in any of Prabhupada's books, and likes that purport, that the need of the soul is to become free. And this need of the soul for freedom ends up being uh, pervertedly reflected in the idea of having a democracy rather than a, a kingdom, right? The idea of all the liberation movements, the liberations of the genders and the races and the animals. And, you know, we're all trying for freedom. But even if we treated everybody nicely on the planet, which I don't think is going to happen anytime in the next few minutes, uh, still nobody's really free, right? Isn't it? Even if there were equal opportunity for everybody, regardless of their bodily type or color or whatever, and uh, even if we weren't under some sort of dictatorship anywhere in the world, still we're not free. How do we know we're not free? Birth, death, old age, and disease. Right? We have some little virus come and we're all slaves to the virus, isn't it? Yeah, we're all slaves to old age. Those of you who are young haven't figured that out yet, but you will. I like what you said the other day. That our get up and go has got up and gone. Okay? I mean, it's, just, it's just interesting. And I was thinking when I was here in my 30s, and I was a Gurukul teacher, so I was having the children from 4.30 in the morning until 2.30 in the afternoon, and I could do that. You know, and yesterday I gave three hours of class on Zoom, and then I had to take a nap. It's like, okay. <laughs> and and we're, we're slaves to that. You know, we're, we're, we're conditioned by that. We can't argue. You know, I'm, oh, I'm not going to get sick, I'm not going to get old. And then we're pulled down by gravity, isn't it? Yeah? Right? We can't fly around like the bird. We're very restricted where we can go, when we can go. We're, we're tied. And then we're tied, we don't like to admit this, but we're tied by our bodily urges. Now, if you've ever done, like I used to do a total fast on a codice, no food, no water, no sleep. You know, but how long can you do that for? And especially the sleep we get to. Like about two o'clock in the morning, it would be. You know, this the the urge to sleep would just be overwhelming. It was very difficult. And how did Mars Brickett go without food, water, or sleep for seven days? So we're pulled by these. And then the most embarrassing is our emotions, isn't it? Right? We're just about to study nectar of instruction next next Sunday. Facho vegam, manasakura vegam, you know, those sort of urges, the urge to say something. And with social media, this has been exacerbated. Somebody writes something nasty on the internet, you've got to answer it right now! I've got to say something right now! And show them they're wrong, and everybody has to make a video or post something, isn't it? And it's like, no, I'm not going to answer, I'm not going to answer, I'm not going to answer, I'm not going to answer. The urge to say something. Uh, anger. Bhagavatam says anger falls on us like fun falling from the sky. And when we're angry, you know, we just want to respond. <laughs> right? Or a sexual desire, uh, which seems to trip up even uh, 
spiritual people and exalted personalities in the world. People have some big position, right? We had our, our former president who was almost dragged down because he was attracted to some intern. And this is a very common, and it's so embarrassing, isn't it? It's so embarrassing that we're the slaves to these various urges, we're the slaves to our emotion, we're the slaves to the demands of the body for eating and sleeping, we're the slaves to old age and death, right? We're, we're actually very embarrassed by all these, and we would like to have freedom. And we're also slaves to being reincarnated again. Karanaguna Sandasya, Sadasan. Yoni should, yoni should we go into the different bodies because of our association with the modes. We can say, well, I don't want to take birth again, but if we associate with the gunas and we're controlled by the gunas, then there we go. Right? We, we, our minds are full. We're just reading this in the Shopanishad, right? That if we're associating with the gunas, then our minds are contaminated by that. And again, uh, you know, we go on to another body. Um, Prabhupada writes that even, you know, supposedly spiritual people and scientists and philosophers, they may pose themselves as very exalted, but privately they're under what the modes of nature that are controlling them. And we had that uh, painting in the BBT book of puppets on strings. You know, there's Krishna and there's Maya as goodness, passion, ignorance, sattva, rajas, and tamas with strings manipulating us. And this is, it's a very embarrassing thing. And Krishna is not controlled by these gunas. He's like a rainbow without a string. When I was in Hawaii, we saw, I had lots and lots of rainbows, because on the side of the, of the big island, on the rainy side of the big island where we were, there was lots of rain, but also a lot of sun. And so it was very common to see rainbows or double rainbows. And practically every week we were seeing some rainbows. And there's, there's nothing holding it. Right? So Krishna appears to be here like one of us, uh, but he's not. He's not conditioned uh, by this world. He's not being forced. If Krishna displays some emotion, it's out of love. It's not out of the force of chemicals in the body. All, all of our emotions are just bodily chemicals. We know that. Some chemicals flood our body and then our mind interprets that as an emotion, and then what's even funnier is the mind comes up with all kinds of philosophical and logical uh, justifications for the emotion that's just a bunch of bodily chemicals. It's quite a fascinating procedure. And we, we, and we get a whole set of beliefs and ideologies uh, around these things. So Krishna is not like that. When Krishna exhibits anger, it's a rasa. When Krishna engages in horror, it's a rasa. It's just an, a free exhibition of, of love. Right? Even when Krishna sleeps, it's like he's not being forced to sleep. He rests because it's pleasurable. He eats because it's pleasurable. Uh, he's not forced by some kind of sense of hunger. And people don't understand this when they read Patram Pushpam Palam Twayam Yome Bhakti Priyatati. They think, oh, Krishna's hungry. He wants some leaves to eat. <laughs> He wants some lettuce and some kale because he's hungry. Uh, but no, he's not, he's not hungry in that, in that sense. Uh, not like that. Of course, we were studying yesterday, uh, we gave a, a class last night in New York uh, on the section from the Bhagavatam where Krishna leaves the Rasa dance 
and then he comes back to the gopis, and the gopis are not very happy that he left. You know, they're not very happy. I mean, the Sadhana Siddha gopis, uh, they were persons like us, or persons who were in Ramlila, and waited and waited and waited millions or billions of years for Krishna to appear, or the personified Vedas, who had seen Krishna's pastimes the last time he came, and then they had to wait till other beings could become the personified Vedas, so then they could become Krishna's gopis. So they're waiting for billions of lifetimes, and finally they get to be in Vraj. Finally. And then they have to wait till Krishna plays his flute in the autumn karti. You know, after, after he does the Vaskarha and Lila, they said, now? No, no, wait. <laughs> And they waited and they finally run to Krishna and then Krishna says, go home. <laughs> he does this, like we were talking in Janmastami, how Vasudev and Devaki waited for so long. Right? Krishna told the demigods, I'll come, and then it was like 30 years or something. And then he comes, now he's there as their baby, okay, take him to go, go cooler. I'm leaving, so Krishna's there and then I go home. I said, we're not going home. No, we're not going home. So then Krishna said, all right, and they're laughing, joking, and embracing, and then he just disappears. Imagine, you know, if you had to wait 10 years to go on a date with the person that you love, and you finally meet them, and you know, you're just about to order dinner, and they go for a stroll in the moonlight, and then they say, oh, I'll be right back, and then they just don't come back. They just, they're just gone. And the gopis are just looking for him everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. You know, finally they just sit and sing. They say, we're not going to keep looking for him, or he'll keep running and hurting his feet. And then when Krishna comes back, they say, uh, we'd like to know about relationships. They say, you know, there are people who love reciprocally. Someone loves them, they love them, they don't love them, they don't love them. Then there are those who love everybody, no matter how they reciprocate, and then there's those who don't love anybody. So there's those who love reciprocally, those who love everybody, and those who don't love anybody. Uh, who are you? And then Krishna takes those three and he divides them into nine. He said, well, yeah, there's those who love like merchants. They don't have any love. They don't have any dharma. They don't have any prema. They're worse than people who don't love at all. Then there's those who love unconditionally, like the pure devotees and like parents. They love regardless of the reciprocation. Then there's those who are indifferent. So those are the Atmarama. They are spiritually satisfied within. They just don't care about loving relationships. The Aptakama, they can get all their desires fulfilled, so they don't care about loving relationships. Then there are the foolish people. They want loving relationships. But they just can't perceive that anyone's doing anything nice for them. They think everything revolves around them, and they're always thinking that they're a victim. And then there's the ungrateful people, the Guru Druha, those who hate those who do nice things for them. So some hate with a cause. Someone's done many, 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 many nice things for you, but one time they messed up, so you hate them. Then there's those who hate without cause. Someone's only done nice things for you and you hate them. And then there's those who injure their benefactors. So there are nine. 
And then the gopis are listening to that and saying, so which one are you? And then Krishna says, I'm not any of them and I'm all of them. Right? He says, I'm, I'm not a merchant because sometimes people give to me and I don't reciprocate right away. But I am because I say, I reciprocate with people. And as far as loving everybody, well, I don't love everybody. I mean, I loved Arjuna more than Duryodhan, so I, I'm not just loving everybody unconditionally, but I do love everybody unconditionally. Suridam Sarabhutanam. I love everybody. And as far as being Atmarama as an Arayana, I'm Atmarama. But as Krishna, I'm not. As Krishna, I actually have desires to be with my devotees. As, a, as an Arayana, I'm at the Kama. I can fulfill all my own desires. I don't need anyone else to fulfill my own desires. But as Krishna, I'm not at the Kama. I actually desire to hear your words. I desire to be with you. And then, am I just some foolish, blind person who doesn't notice what anyone does for me? Well, you could say, as Krishna, I haven't even gone to school yet, and I'm, I'm kind of foolish and I don't really know what's going on in the world. But also as the Lord, I'm saying if you give me a little water, a little leaf, then I give myself to you. I just say my name. Jamil just says Narayana to call his son. Krishna is so grateful. So, so I'm always aware of what anyone does for me and I'm so grateful. As far as being Guru Druha, hurting those who love me, well, I was Guru Juha because I left you after inciting your romantic desires. But I wasn't Guru Juha because I came back. So Krishna is saying, in one sense, I look like someone of the world. And in another sense, I'm not anyone of the world. He says, my reciprocations, my dealings are in a completely different category. For those who are trying to get prema, I withdraw myself to ripen their love. For those who have prema, I may withdraw myself to increase their love. And for you, my dear gopis, I withdrew so everyone could see and glorify your extraordinary love in all situations. So I wasn't acting according to any of these ordinary categories. And everything Krishna does is like that. He's not acting according to ordinary motivations of a conditioned soul. He doesn't have any fear. He doesn't have fear of death. He doesn't have fear that people won't like him. He doesn't have fear that he won't get money. He doesn't have fear that he won't get something to eat. It's, these are the things that are pushing us. He doesn't have that. Yes? And we would all like to be like that, isn't it? Wouldn't we all? What is that song? Wouldn't you all like to be free that Mangala, Mangala Nanda sang? We would all like to be free. So how are we going to be free? Because Prabhupada says uh, in light of the Bhagavad that this principle applies to the servants of the Lord also. We want to be free, practically speaking, like God is free. But I just... I'm sure there's many more, uh, but I found just a, a few in the Bhagavad Gita. Actually, I found these while I was waiting for that class to start last night because they couldn't get their Zoom together. It happened to me the other day. So I 
thought, okay, I'll take advantage and look up these verses in the Bhagavad Gita. So in 1319, Krishna said, Mat They attain to my nature. Mat bhava. They get a nature just like mine. In Bhagavad Gita 8.5, Antakale chamam eva smaran mukta kale varam yakpayati samad bhavam yatinas yatusamsayha. So anyone who remembers him at death at once attained, at once attained my nature. Again, we have this mad bhavam. And the Gita um, 14.4. Namam karma nilipanti, name karma palespraha, iti mam yo bhajananti, karma bir na sabadyate. Krishna says, there's no work that affects me. I don't want the fruits of work. And if you understand this about me, then you also become free. So when we understand, just like Krishna says, Janma Karma Tane Divyam Evam Yoveti Tatita, Tvakta Deham Punar Janma Naiti Mam Eti Sojana. If we understand Krishna's nature, because we have essentially the same nature as Krishna's, not in quantity, but in quality, we have the same quality. So once we understand his qualities, we can understand our qualities. We are free souls. We don't need to be bound by these modes of nature. We don't need to be bound by birth, death, old age, and disease. We don't need to be bound by the pushings of the body. We don't need to be bound by the thoughts and emotions that go through the mind. We don't need to be. And it's hard to believe when we're so conditioned and so pushed by these, but it's really our own desire that's, that's holding us. You know, Bhakti Sinanta Saraswati talked about someone holding onto a tree and they're saying, let me go, let me go, let me go. You know, I'm sure you've all heard how the way they train elephants, they put these heavy chains around their feet to tie them to something, take one foot, put a heavy chain around it. So at night, so the elephant can't wander off. And after a while, all they have to do is tie a piece of grass around the elephant's foot and it doesn't try to get away. You know, so we're, we're thinking, just like Prabhupada said, we could become Krishna conscious in a moment if we surrender to Krishna. We're thinking, oh, you know, it's, I'm the victim here. But it's our own attraction to the modes, it's our own desire to be separate from Krishna that's binding us. Just like in ordinary life, the criminals in jail because of their own desires. I mean, it does happen. But generally speaking, governments don't just randomly arrest people and throw them in jail for no reason. I mean, some governments do. But generally speaking, we can have some assurance that if we're law-abiding citizens, we're not going to be just randomly thrown into jail. But certainly in Krishna's government, they don't make mistakes like that. You know, where they don't have some racism or something. We're in prison because we want to be in prison. Just like someone taking intoxication who's under the control of the intoxicant. When I used to take my high school students often to the courthouse, so at least from what I saw anecdotally, like 80% of the criminal cases, the person had been intoxicated. So the intoxication makes them do crazy things, but they're voluntarily taking intoxication. So we voluntarily put ourselves under the control of Maya, and then we're, 
her condition. But we don't need to be. So I was thinking in this regard about Krishna's lotus feet. You know, when Krishna's doing his pastimes here, his footprints are visible. We were reading about the Kaliya pastime and how the residents of Vrindavan, when they saw the bad omens, they were following Krishna's footprints to the Kaliya lake. And the Acharyas explained that all the residents of Vrindavan, they walk around Krishna's footprints. They want to preserve them, even all the cows. And you can see the different marks, the lines. The footprints were so clear that even the lines in Krishna's feet were visible, so you could tell they were Krishna's footprints. But we know the demigods, when they come to this planet, they don't touch the ground. We were reading about Lord Brahma stealing the cows and the boys the other day. Or some class somewhere. And now Lord Brahma, when he is apologizing to Krishna, he touches the ground. He gives up his pride. Oh, I'm Lord Brahma, I don't touch the ground. And he touches the ground. When Lord Vishnu came to see Maharaj Prithu, it said his feet almost touched the ground out of respect for Prithu Maharaj. But even the demigods don't touch the ground. What about Krishna? But he's doing this just out of fun, so his devotees get to see his footprints. Like Quinty Devi says, when your footprints are everywhere, everything becomes auspicious. It was about a, a year or two ago, I was meditating very deeply on, on Srila Prabhupada. And I was meditating how the first time that I got to meet uh, personally with Srila Prabhupada, he was sitting in such a way, he was, he was leaning back like this, and he had, he was sitting like this. And his, his dhoti was up around his right knee. So you could see his, his right calf and, and foot, and you could see the bottom of his left foot. You know, his left foot was out like this. And I was meditating on that. This is when I was at, at, at my place in Govardhan. And I was thinking how... I, I generally, for exercise, I take a brisk walk every day, and it affects the bottom of your feet. If you're, if you're doing a lot of walking or running, your feet get callous, they get cracks in them, right? I was having, like, once or twice a week, I had to scrub my feet with a pumice stone. But Chila Prabhupada's feet look like a baby, like, like little Nasinga, who can't walk yet. They looked like that, like he never used them. And I thought, I mean, that was the first thing I noticed when we were in the room with Shiva Prabhupada, were his feet. And, but it wasn't until just it was maybe a couple years ago that it was like, wait a minute. Shiva Prabhupada took a morning walk every day, hour and a half morning walk, hour, hour and a half. How did he have feet like that? So I wrote to one of his servants, former servants, Shudakirti Prabhu, and I said, uh, you used to massage Shiva Prabhupada every day. What were his feet like? He said, they were always completely soft. There were no hard spots anywhere on his feet. No calluses, no cracks. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And I, I remembered a, a story one of my gods, I it was, one of my god sisters told that in Australia, Prabhupada was taking a morning walk after a, a bad, or maybe it's London, London, after a bad rain, and the ground was very muddy. And so this devotee was cleaning, I said, oh, I'll clean Prabhupada's shoes. He saw all the devotee's shoes were muddy, and she went to clean Prabhupada's shoes, and there was no mud on them. 
the proper shoes have no mud on them. And we have, the story from Australia was of a morning walk where a devotee was walking next to Prabhupada and there was some insect on the ground and he saw Prabhupada was about to step on the insect and he wanted to say something but he didn't have time. But he saw that as Prabhupada apparently stepped on the insect, the insect was fine and there was no impression in the soil. So, the devotees of the Lord, uh, they also have nothing to do with this world. When one becomes a servant of the Lord, one is also free. One may apparently interact with the Lord, like I was there when Prabhupada was asked, you know, why did you fly on the airplane to get here? And Prabhupada said, to be one with you. So they may apparently act in the world, like Krishna apparently acts in the world. But they're not of this world. They're not affected by this world. So if we meditate on Krishna's pastimes in the proper way, we will remember that we are also free. Right? And I thought I would, I would read from um, text 16 in the Ishapanishad, which we just uh, finished studying. Right? So this is, Vanishwami uh, has translated commentaries of our acharyas. And this is the translation of Bhaktivinoda Thakur on Mantra 16. O Pushan, Ekarshi, Surya, Prajapacha, remove your rays, restrict your light. Then I can see your most auspicious form. I am qualified to see that form because you, the complete person, Paramatma, your portion in the world, and we jivas also are all spiritual by nature. If you are merciful, I can see you. So, as Prabhupada translates this, you are like unto the sun as am I. So we are all eternally spiritual beings. It's not just that Krishna is probably saying this purple is such an ananda. We are also such an And to remember that I am a soul. I am a servant of Krishna. I am not really of this world. I do not need to be subjugated by the goodness of this world. I can also attain to the freedom of uh, the Lord. So questions, comments? Marsh? Yeah. This just reminded me of the story of Nam Damiante. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah that, uh, the only way Damiante could identify now was the demigods took his form. Yeah. It was because the demigods didn't touch the ground and they weren't sweating. They weren't sweating, yeah. So for those on the internet, Nam Damiante, so Damiante knew the demigods were impersonating her desired husband because only her desired husband was touching the ground and was perspiring. Yes? Yeah, there was two things I've noticed in your class. That in the beginning you had mentioned uh, uh, Indra and has, has the bow, which is, he's a demigod now. He's far more advanced than our planet and our species and his people living on it. But yet he has a bow, and yet in our culture, in our earthly uh, history, a bow and arrow is, is outdated. You know, we got to give a bow. Ah, so you're, you're noticing that, that the demigods like Indra have a bow and arrow, but in 2020 we think bows and arrow are primitive. Primitive compared to what we have. Compared to modern weapons. But you know, the humans, the humans who use bows and arrows, say, in Krishna's time, they knew how to invoke subtle weapons to enter their arrows. 
you can you see this in the Indian movies of Ramayana and Mahabharata, and this really cartoony, what it, my students call them special defects instead of special effects. But <laughs> it was always really low-level cartoons. But the fact is, if you if you read about the you know in, in Bhagavatam and Mahabharata, so when they would put an arrow into their bow, it wasn't an ordinary arrow. You know, they could invoke, a, and they didn't just have fire weapons and pointed weapons, they could invoke wind weapons and water weapons, yawning weapons. When Krishna was fighting with Lord Shiva, you know, for Ushanani Ruta, there was a yawning weapon. And Krishna likes bows. Right? Another thing I could have talked about today was how, Ram, how Lord Ramachandra strung the bow. Right, and broke it, but yeah, they didn't. Uh, Krishna, like, he has his sarnga bow, and he's God, what to speak of Indra. Shiloh Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai.